This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What is up, Power Producers Nation? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game and bringing you the tools and tech you need to be successful. And today, along those lines, we have Mr. Rob Stansberry with KPA, EHS software that we use here at Florida Risk Partners. And I got so excited when I saw what he's doing that I wanted to get it out to everybody else because this is a tool I never would have known about if my hand wasn't forced to shop elsewhere. Thank God that it was. Rob, how you doing today, my friend? Not too bad. Living the dream, David. Living the dream. Yeah, you didn't sound that confident about that. I mean, you're going to have to maybe chug an espresso or something and get you amped up a little bit. But um, listen, like we always do, I know you've been around the the SaaS world for a little while. Why don't you give everybody sort of your backstory and and how you got to where you are today? And then we're going to dive into KPA and the different things that it does to help our clients reduce their total cost of risk. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've, I've been with KPA coming up on 16 years, which is like seven lifetimes in the software business. But it's been an interesting ride. Um, KPA's changed hands in terms of ownership a number of times. So for, for all intents and purposes, I feel like I've worked for four or five different companies in that time frame. And it's always been growth, growth, growth with us. When I started with KPA, it was a smaller privately held company, a bunch of safety geeks and HR geeks working directly with the employers. And over the course of the years, and most recently, about five years ago, when we acquired Succeed Management Solutions, really a foray into the channel relationship with brokers like yourself as our clients and bringing growth and retention solutions to the table. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, you guys do a ton and, you know, we... um are really just starting our relationship with you. In fact, getting ready to go live here in the next couple of weeks, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, you know, I'm I'm pumped, man. I think that um, you're going to be a game changer for us. And the one thing that I liked about KPA was it doesn't just stop at resources and information for the broker, right? You know, you guys have really cool tools that we can use as an interface with and for our clients to drive change in their organizations. So why don't you, let's just, let's just sort of dive in a little bit and talk about the backdrop of 
sort of what you guys do and how everything is structured. And then I'm going to bring up some very specific things that I like, and then I'm going to let you correct me on air if I get them wrong, because I've been representing them to people now for a couple of months when I got amped up after you and I talked the first time. But you know, I want to make sure everybody understands that you are a very, very solid option for the middle market. And, you know, it's interesting. So we sort of met each other uh, serendipitously because I'm not a big fan of consolidation uh, of tools in the industry, right? I'm I'm pretty vocal about that. I'm not going to call any names out, but I had a call with a couple of CEOs over the course of the last couple of weeks from software providers that, quite frankly, we used to use in Florida Risk Partners. And there's a reason why. I'm not going to be beholden to venture capital and bottom lines. I want people who have my agency's best interest in mind and my client's best interests in mind. And, you know, it was very um, condescendingly put toward me that my view is wrong and that uh, consolidation is where it is and that agents needed to understand that bigger is better. And my response to that was that there's a complete disconnect between that particular company in the independent agency channel. We're independent agents because we want to give our clients choices. You may have missed that when you decided to do your market research about how you're going to get in. And so as a result, we're out and uh, you're in. And you know, I want to talk about that today. So let's, let's talk about some of the, the, the high-level stuff that you guys do and we'll drill down. Sure. Well, I think, I think it's important, David. You mentioned not just stopping you know, with, the, with the broker. So there are tools out there that are intended for brokers to use for growth purposes, for marketing purposes, you know, and we certainly engage in that way with our broker clients, but at our heart, we're an employer tool. So it really does reach not only the broker in that, in that way, but it also touches the, the employer, their client, the insured in a day-to-day basis. I think everyone knows that those employers, those insureds, they're going to look to their brokers to solve their problems, whether the broker has an actual solution themselves or not, you know, many times that's punted to the carrier solutions with the value going to those folks and little value going to the broker. So really, we do touch it at both levels, both your level from the, I'm the broker, I want to grow, I need to, to grow my book, I need to retain my book, but then delivering solutions and process on a day-to-day, a week-to-week basis at the employer level. And I'm talking about things, David, like, you know, learning management content and the tracking thereof talking about tracking certificates of insurance and risk transfer, talking about, you know, tracking incidents, first report of injury, OSHA 300 submissions, even the ability for an insured to track, you know, in an automated capacity, literally anything in their world from driver's license renewals to remote job site evaluations. It's, it is a very robust tool positioned best narrowly by a broker to solve an immediate pain point get the utilization then, which provides that barrier to exit for our broker clients. And that's that's the name of the game. It's delivering value at the employer level that's going to then facilitate that growth and retention at the broker level. And that's that's what we do on a day-in and day-out basis with our brokers and with their clients. Well, you know, the problem with that is, Rob, that the brokers haven't figured out yet that in order to solve the problem, they have to identify it first, right? And so, you know, you've got people out there whoring themselves out to sell policies because that's what pays them. And they don't realize that their clients are relying on them for much more than insurance. I preach about it all the time, that if you go into a situation and you've got three or three or four competing brokers in there with you, certainly your value proposition is what you should be hanging your hat on 
because the one thing that's the common denominator amongst all of us is we're licensed agents. We have the ability to put insurance in place. We have the ability to sell you policies. And the difference in the middle market, specifically where your product is geared to play and where we certainly uh, like to write the majority of our business is that you can't just get by on selling policies. You have to have a process in place as part of your value proposition to not only solve problems, but you have to identify problems that your prospects probably don't even know exist before you get in the game. And that's the easiest wedge to drive. How do you do that? I don't know. It's not necessarily a canned speech where you go in and say the same thing every time. That's why I'm a big proponent of asking open-ended questions about operations. You're going to find it. I would be willing to bet that if you go Go in to any account and you have 10 pre-prepared open-ended questions that you can ask them about regarding their operations, you've got greater than a 50% chance that you're going to find a pain point and be able to drive a wedge. And it's even better if none of those questions revolve around insurance. I think the worst thing a salesperson, an insurance producer can do is walk into an account and within the first several questions say, um, so what do you feel like your pain points are? Like, really? I mean, is this an open book test now? We're going to come in and ask you what the pain points are? Our, our biggest deals are the deals where we go in and discover pain that the client never knew happened because of our experience. And by having tools that we know can solve those problems, it makes us able to answer those questions in a much more confident way because we know not only are we going to uncover this, but by the way, the freaking knockout punch is when we say, oh, but yeah, we have a we have a, a, a solution for that problem. No problem. Here's what's going on with our clients. And this is the feedback that we've gotten. You mean you're not getting this right now? That's interesting because this has been around. I mean, my man Rob's been there like 15 20 years at KPA, and I'm sure he'd be happy to sell your broker this product. I don't get it, but this is one of the things we do. We invest in our clients. This isn't an expense to me. This is a new business generation tool. And I'm going to talk about a couple things very specifically, but you know, I, I think that's where it is. One of the things you mentioned uh, to me that I found to be very valuable was certificate monitoring, right? I mean, I can go in, if I'm dealing with service contractors, which my particular book is relatively heavy on that, if I go in and ask them two questions, I can guarantee you I'm going to get them irritated. One of them has to do with audit, and the other one has to do with how long it takes to get certificates. I've already got the certificate issuance issue taken care of with eCerts online. I've been using that since the day that I opened. But the audit issue is one that always gets people off guard, and it never should. We know that if you're using subs, you should be having certificates on them. Why is it that it's always, hey, can we put the audit off for a week so I can make sure I have all this stuff? No, you should have all this stuff in real time. And the reason you don't is because... Your agent hasn't given you a tool to make sure that you have it and it's up to date and that these people aren't locked out from doing business with you until it's up to date, right? So talk a little bit about that because to me, I think that's a huge, huge leverage uh, for anybody that goes in dealing with somebody who's had a problem with certs. Absolutely. I mean, and, and you hit on a big point relative to the questions that you're asking. So I just want to address that because it, it, it's the simplest concept and it's the easiest thing to do. And so many people are missing out on that opportunity. If you have, like you said, three or four companies that you're taking seriously to quote for your insurance, and three of those conversations are identical, and the fourth one's asking you about your business, they're asking about your day-to-day, -day, and they're asking you about, well, hey, how are you handling this? And what are you doing here? It's separating that conversation as, as one around uh, a trusted advisor and a business partner rather than a transactional process. I mean, it, it is a 
the lowest hanging fruit. And so many people fail to do that because this is my process. I go in, I quote, if I win it, I win it. I follow up. And if I win it, I win it. So specifically, David, to the, the cert tracking piece, we've actually just updated our software here as well um, with some OCR technology to make something that was already pretty simple, even simpler at the employer level. But the way I look at this is you have folks that are handling it in, in one of a few ways. They're, they're not doing it, which is a total and complete liability nightmare. The overwhelming majority of folks are doing it manually. They're doing it with an Excel spreadsheet, requires that update. It's not notifying them and telling them that they need to pull that sub from the job for insufficient financial amount of coverage or expired coverage. So they're lacking that automation. In many instances, they may even be spending money. So in today's market, where you're delivering you know, premiums that are higher than they were the year before, if you can offset that or mitigate that by potentially reducing an existing third-party spend, there's another gold star in the corner of the broker for being able to do so. So really at the insured level, in my opinion, it's all about risk transfer. I'm a commercial, um, I'm a commercial property owner. I have residential on floors two through five. I have retail commercial on floor one. And somebody slips in that, you know, retail commercial space. Like I want to be able to, to, to easily document that this is something that would be covered by my tenant, not on me, the building owner. And that's really where that lives. Now on the back end of that for the brokers to be able to identify the incumbents and to be able to identify the renewal dates of all of the subs that are totally viable pieces of business for them to go out and write. That's really the angle on the back end there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it goes back to the whole thing with regarding, um, you know, audit, right? I mean, this is a financial problem in many cases. And I don't know how, honestly, I don't know how agents have talked their way out of this for as many years as they have. Like, I can tell you, like, almost every time I go in and, and somebody gets fired up about this, they're going to say, we've had an audit problem for the last five years. And then I'm like, well, wait a minute. Why did you have an audit problem for more than one year? Like, how has that not been, been handled? Why did you accept that? And I mean, I think that sometimes our industry just sets the bar so low for ourselves that, um, you know, it's more about slick talk. It's quick smile, firm handshake kissing babies, playing golf, bending elbows at happy hour. And we think that's what's going to keep people in our book. It's not, people. The delivering value is. Another thing that we, um, you know, that I personally was impressed by with what you guys do, and I'd like for you to talk about this a little bit, is that remote job site evaluation tool. I mean, we're in Florida. We have attorneys. Every other state has attorneys, but it seems like ours are really into going after plumbers uh, and, and service contractors right now. And part of the risk management process that needs to happen is documenting job conditions when you arrive, when you leave, and having a streamlined system to monitor that. And also just making sure that everybody's operating basically with the same general uh, activities when they go to, you know, a specified job. Like if it, if you're gonna go change out a water heater, this is what you're supposed to do here. You know, here's what it should look like when you get there, you know, take pictures of it, take pictures when you're done. So we can see that it's done. These are the things that happen in between check off that you did them, whatever. And, you know, I may be going way deeper than what the tool's capable of doing, but the issue is this, you know, not every service contractor believes that having a CRM is a good idea. I mean, you've got companies out there like service Titan, that probably have some level of ability to track and document this stuff. The problem is 
that as we know, contractors are frugal, um, you know, by and large, and they don't want to invest in that stuff. So if they're of the mindset that it's something they need, but that's not something they choose to want to afford because they can, they just, they just don't want to invest. Then going in as an agent that has the ability to provide this solution that they desperately need to keep their, again, it's an indirect reflection on insurance premium, but you know, it's a huge tool. Talk about that tool for a little bit. Cause I'm really excited about getting that into my, my contractor client's hands. Oh yeah. It, it, it gets used in every way you can imagine. Like by the time we're done with this recording, there'll be another one that I've not heard of before. So we designed it with that mindset of, you know, safety geeks and, and HR geeks, like the, the makeup of KPA, like a true EHS and HR consulting firm. In our minds, it was going to be something that across industries that an, an insured would be able to create an inspection, do a, a remote job site evaluation, you know, monitor JHAs on site. And when it came down to it, we kicked it out to market. Like I said, it gets used for everything. So narrow in design, but I mean, I'll, luck, I'll happily luck into a, a very usable component of our platform. So when I say all these different uses, like I have some rather sophisticated uses. I have an insured in Florida through one of our broker clients. Uh, they're an electrical contractor and they do something like 25, 30 remote job sites uh, at a time. So prior to engaging in activity on those job sites, like, uh, you know, a ladder set up for those folks, they'll actually take a photograph of the pressure points and they'll submit that back to their shift supervisor or the corporate office. And then they'll begin the job function once that's approved. Now, that's a more sophisticated application. It could be used for simple checklisting, like you mentioned. Hey, when I go out to this job site, here's what I need to see. This is what needs to be in place. And when I leave that job site, this is what it needs to look like. So it's agnostic to industry in that, you know, a construction client, a plumbing client, a higher education client, a transportation client, they can create their own trackable item. I referenced a little earlier, you know, driver's license renewals, uh, vehicle maintenance records, inventory controls. So it is an automated tracking tool. In my mind, it gets pigeonholed in terms of inspections and audits. But it can literally track everything and anything in that automated capacity with the notification process and that kind of escalating scale of accountability within an employer. That's good on multiple levels as a tool. I think it's good to help minimize risk, but also to help train people moving forward. If you're going to you know, continue to grow as a company, you've already got things documented in there that this is how it should go. And it's, I mean, that's pretty slick. Yeah, I mean, look, I've said it time and time again, you know, the one thing I took out of my time working with Target was the fact that we had common practices. And that's what made it so mm -hmm. easy to work in the capacity that I was in as I got towards the end of my career. My, my primary job was to open up new stores and to go fix broken stores for them all over the country. And I loved the fact that I knew what the unload procedure was for a truck because it was the same in Minneapolis as it was in Miami. Like literally everything in the company had a trifold brochure mm -hmm. that said, this is how you do this. And I think part of the part of the problem that we run into is that number one, I mean, I know this on the agency side, these people build these companies and they start out with a truck in their garage, right? And the next thing you know, they're doing 15, 20 million a year in sales. They have a hundred vehicles in their fleet. 
and they're still running it like they have one truck in right. their in, in, in operating out of their garage. And it's tough at that point to slow down and formalize all of this stuff and be able to even define here's what the processes are. And, you know, I'm just saying this from a, a defense standpoint in, in the industry, it's difficult for me to go in and argue why your loss performance was an anomaly when I can't document, you know, that you've got processes and procedures that have been formalized, that your people have been trained on them, and that you've tested them to make sure that they are retained on that. And then even give them a couple of samples of what that stuff looks like and make it a material portion of the submission for insurance quotes. I mean, that's that's the reality of the matter. And so the brokers that are going to win are the ones who realize that and have the ability to be persuasive in the conversation to the point that you can take that business owner and make it a priority for them too. Your your persuasiveness is not to get them to buy insurance from you. Your persuasiveness is get them to slow down, to speed up, and put the risk management formalization in place so that they can continue to scale as profitably as possible. You know, I I just that's the way we've always looked at it. I think it's one reason why we've had success at Florida Risk Partners. And you know, I'm I'm interested in your thoughts, Rob. Yeah, Dave, you you, uh, you just kind of triggered what's been a hot button for me and my my sales team here over the last while talking to brokers. You talked about documentation, right? And and I think maybe six years ago, in your guys' conversation with the underwriters, you might be able to say, "Oh, yeah, they have a safety program in place." But with the hard market that we're in, and with the what fourteen consecutive quarters of premium increases in commercial insurance. I think now it's a show me, uh, it's a show me world we live in, right? So for for the brokers, a unique opportunity here with with the insureds engaged in a platform like the risk management center, is it the completed employee trainings? Is it the incidents being tracked, the policies, things like that, to be able to show the underwriter, you know, look in in the course of the past year, in the course of the past six months, in the course of the past three years, here's what we've seen: they're focusing on these items, they're working in policies, they're tracking incidents effectively. And it kind of presents a much prettier case of risk for that carrier. And David, there's another area there that I just don't think enough producers are engaging in. In fact, one of my sales guys was a former client of mine. He worked for an agency up in New England, and he he can count his conversation with the underwriter from Hanover and the difference that it made not only with an individual client, but then in the picture that the agency can present to that underwriter relative to the risk of their clients as a whole. And that's an extremely strong point to be able to, to hammer home, not just at the time of renewal with a client, look at all the value that we're bringing to the table above and beyond placing your insurance, but then level up in that underwriter conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts on in, in kind of how that would play out in your world. Yeah, no, I mean, one of my biggest pet peeves. Here we go, Kyle. What is it? What's one of my biggest pet peeves? One of your biggest pet peeves? You, you, I mean, you bust my stones about it all the time. <sighs> Once a year. Uh, uh, at renewal, oh, um, the, oh, yeah. The, uh, the stewardship report. I hate stewardship reports. Why? Because I think that it's a once a year shot for an agent to go to a client that he's basically or she has basically neglected for the entire year and justify why they should be hired again by showing them all the yeah. stuff they did for that. Right. My, my thing is this should be done in real time, man. 
We have a dashboard that we give our clients so that they can see on a month-by-month basis what's happened. And here's another fun fact. There's 360-degree <laughs> accountability in that document, right? The producer has accountability for delivering on what was promised at the point of sale. The client has responsibility because they promised they were going to do specific things at the point of sale in many cases to get it done. We have things on the agency side where we're responsible from a service standpoint and the carrier has responsibility. So when we onboard a client, we have an onboarding meeting with our middle market accounts where all of those parties come together and determine what's going to happen over the course of the year. And it's not a bunch of hollow promises. It's legitimately, here's what we're going to do. And every month, we're going to send you a snapshot so you can see that it has been done. And if we need to add things over the course of the year, we can add things. It's a living document. But, you know, it blows my mind how how much producers hang their hat on stewardship, right? Stewardship is not once a year. Stewardship is 24-7, 365. That's what being a good steward of resources is, and it's called being a good steward for your client. So that's my thoughts as it surrounds that stuff. The you know the layer up piece too, though, with the underwriter. I'm, I'm curious into, into how involved you guys have been in that and how active you are in those conversations relative to you know the unfortunate and kind of required at this point increases coming to yeah, your no, clients. Yeah, no, exactly. So, you know, I think part of the problem is there's there's a few things that I think. Uh, number one, I think that technology has made an already, um, an industry that's already inclined to be lazy, lazier. Okay, and here's what I mean by that. Um, if I am a traditional producer and I'm going to sell you some real good insurance at a real good price, then... I'm going to go in and I'm going to do my submission and I'm going to key it in online. If I'm really tech savvy, I'll have a rater that'll let me go to more than one place to get those numbers. But I'm going to go in and I'm going to put the submission in. And if it comes back declined, oh, well, I'll go on to the next one or doesn't meet qualifications based on loss ratio. I'm going to go on to the next one. And that's not how we operate, man. I mean, number one, I never take no for an answer. If I did, I'd still be eating raw man noodles and boxed mac and cheese, you know, living in a one bedroom efficiency apartment with six kids. You know, that's just not how it works. <laughs> and so I'm of the mindset that you don't take no for an answer. And your number one sale, 100% of, so let me take another step back. If you're a producer and listening to this, the reason I'm going to beat you on the street is because I'm not selling insurance and I'm not getting hired based off of the fact that X date is coming, right? The insurance is a foregone conclusion. The insurance is the funding mechanism that pays for the value proposition that we represent at the point of sale. So once we get hired with the understanding that we're going to handle all of the risk management things that we brought up during that buyer's journey, the very next thing that happens is the insurance because daddy's got to get paid at some point right? So we are going to get paid based off of the placement of the insurance, but our clients know that that's not where the value in the relationship is because any monkey can place insurance if they do it long enough. And so the very first real sale around the insurance happens with the underwriter 100% of the time. You have to make a convincing case to the underwriter. And if you're in the world that we're in, we're visiting high mod business. We're visiting people who have had some, some issues with auto, uh, maybe even GL. 
And a lot of times it is a shock loss. It's a bad, it's one bad year. So again, producers mm-hmm. are typically wired. Let me get three years worth of loss runs. Man, if I get five, whew, I could open up a can of worms that nobody wants to see when the real thought process should be, give me five. And if you've got 10, I'll take them. I want to show that you've been consistent over as long a period as I can so that I can show that this was a shock loss. That doesn't mean that just because you give more loss information that you're going to win the argument, but it begins to build the foundation for that. Then you take all of the things that you have done and that you have agreed to do as part of the risk management action plan for the year going forward, and you make that a material part of the submission. Any type of training transcripts that you have that show if you have a fleet safety issue, this is what we're doing. If you have that remote job site evaluation tool, show what that's in there. Send a copy of what a sample remote job site evaluation looks like. Have a copy of your return or recover at work, whatever you want to call it. Show that you have that in place and you have an official company policy, but it doesn't stop there. You have the policy. You've trained your people. You've trained your management. There's predefined roles in the event of an accident or an incident. You've identified the clinic. You've made the clinic aware that you do have light duty positions available for people to recover at work. You've predefined what those activities are. You have a letter that you send to every single employee that offers them a light duty job, states the wage, states what they're going to be doing, who their supervisor is, what their responsibilities are when they are injured because the injured employee does have responsibilities. And I can just keep going down the list. What... If your clients have that in place because you've done that, this is your chance to show that to the underwriter. And then here's another one, man. I think this is a place, I mean, we're headed there. We talked about it on the episode with Ryan Deeds. This has always been my number one goal. I don't really care what the Bureau of Labor Statistics says right? Across general industry, not really interested in it. I mean, it's a good place to start and it's a statistic or statistics you can use at the point of sale. Not really interested in what OSHA does or any of those people. What I want to do is I want to take the standard benchmarking reports that our competition is using on the streets that's across general, um, you know, all all the states in the SIC code and everything else. And then I want to compare what Florida Risk Partners performance looks like compared to that. What do our plumbers look like compared to plumbers nationally? And how do you stack up against the people that are in our book of business and show the progress as to what that looks like uh, in graphs and everything else so that I can go to an underwriter if I've got an absolute absolute sloppy pig as a prospect that is just stunk in their performance for the last two years. And, and finally, I got to go in there and hit them between the eyes with a hammer and get them to wake up. I want to be able to go to the underwriter and say, hey, look, here's what they look like. Here's what all of our clients looked like when they came on pretty similar. Here's what they look like now. If you want to take the chance that we're going to be able to deliver on what we say we're going to do, this is the absolute most you're ever going to make on this account because the performance is going to end up being so good because of the value prop and the tools and resources we give that you're going to have no choice but to drop premium in the upcoming years, even if the exposure basis is higher, because the risk is going to be that attractive to your competition. And if you take the time to do that, you're building a relationship with an underwriter that at some point, even though I will continue to do those things, they're going to look at my submissions and not even waste their time going through it because they've seen it a hundred times and they've seen that we actually follow through and do what we say we're going to mm-hmm. do. There and if go. this mic wasn't on a I mean, stand, I'd drop it right now. <laughs> <laughs> you were like blacked it's, out there like Will yeah. Ferrell in old school. What happened? What happened? I blacked out. <laughs> 
You're talking about delivering solutions and really kind of, you know, upfront in the uh, in the engagement, you know, setting the dynamic for what that's going to be like, but following through with it. I mean, and that's largely where we come in in terms of that dynamic with the broker and the insured providing the, the process, providing the deliverable for you to be able to achieve those goals. So I, I, I love I love the approach and I love where you're going. With it. I think that one thing I would like to talk about is we're coming back to getting as close to normal as we can. Um, specifically with, you know, relation to COVID, there's going to be some changes in what happens in the EHS world. You know, we had Mark Susky from Jensen Hughes come on, who's a risk engineer that talked about some of the things that they're seeing that's going to have to happen to engineer properties that have high capacities for people and other things. But I do think that um, specifically as we have a democratic administration at this point, again, people, I will remind you when I bring that up, it's not my political stance. It's really none of your business what my political stance is. And I don't care what you believe. I think we can all get along. And that's part of the problem is the country hadn't figured that out, even though we've been around for 300 years, right? So at the end of the day, you know, I, I think that though it is a proven fact that when you deal with a democratic administration, government involvement is much greater than a Republican administration, which tends to push things to the states. And as a result of that, I think we're going to see greater OSHA involvement in businesses outside of just whenever there's a fatality or a major incident. And so what are you guys seeing along that front? Number one, number two, what have you done to prepare for that? And number three, what should we as brokers know about what KPA is capable of providing us that's going to help us stay on the cutting edge? You know, there's a lot of competitors out there and their answer is, well, we're just going to give you good information that you can put into a drip email campaign and you can send it out and hopefully somebody will open it. Maybe they won't. But at the end of the day, you can post this crap all over LinkedIn. You can send it out, uh, you know, via drip campaign and you might even print it out and put it in the hands of your clients, but that's not really a tool, right? That's just some information. I want to know from a tool standpoint, right. because you guys have some very specific things you can do with OSHA that other people don't. And I think that it's something that's relevant to where we're at in the marketplace. Oh yeah. hundred, hundred percent. So I'll go back a few years. It was the, the changeover, I guess it was 07 to, and it was the changeover from, um, you know, Republican to Democratic uh, administration. And I have a very specific example here that I can give you. So at the time, I was uh, managing a sales team across folks that were selling into automotive. So new franchise uh, dealerships. And in the state of Virginia specifically, so just to give you kind of a little snippet here, in 06 and 07, there's 400 dealers in the state of Virginia. In 06 and 07, there was a combined eight proactive regulatory visits. So we're not talking about whistleblowers. We're not talking about, you know, serious injuries. We're talking about proactive inspections in the state. Fast forward one year, 08 into 09, and there was 80 of 400 businesses that got inspected. Eight zero. Yeah, hold on one second, because I want to I want to bear credence to your point, and then I want you to go back to it. But I actually have a client that is a chain of automotive services shops, okay? Not on the dealership side, but they have it too. And when I engaged with them, I went in and made the recommendation and made it a mandatory recommendation. And by the way, people, you heard what I said. I did this. I didn't wait for the carrier to do it. I did it because I wasn't going to work with this account unless they had this in place. Okay. Number one, most cited violation for auto repair shops. And I would imagine it's probably right up there at the dealerships too. 
was hazmat. Has, a Hascom communication program. They did not have it. This guy pushed back and said, I've owned shops for 30 years and nobody's ever come in and told me I needed to do that before. I don't think this is legitimate. And I'm like, you know what? You've had poor representation for 30 years. I don't hang my hat on what everybody else has told you. Otherwise, there's no point in us talking, right? And so I sent him all of the stats. I sent him all of the articles. I sent him a copy of a violation that a shop got. Guess what? They were visited. They didn't do what they needed to do. They got visited a second time and it was catastrophic for this guy's business. Guess who has a Hascom program today? <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh, it's low-hanging fruit. It's, an, it's another area, David, that I think when producers go out there, they're missing the boat on this. Now, certainly with the change in administration and if you look at any of the EHS trend magazines, I mean, they've been saying it for months at this point that it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And they've, they've beefed up the regulatory staff, you know, to that measure, but how, you know, how we address those type of things, there's, there's really two ways. So one of them, and this is kind of unique about KPA, but, you know, we have 150 loss control professionals that are KPA employees, you know, across the United States. So we had prior to engaging with the risk management center and the broker being our client, we had always gone direct to employer. We have thousands of clients that were visiting on site to do, you know, mock OSHA inspections, loss control visits, physical facility inspections. So that's part A. I mean, putting actual feet on the street and the ability to consult with the business, but taking it to a systems perspective in the risk management center, you know, the, the ability to document. And when it comes down to OSHA showing up at your door, I assure you, these folks are not wanting to spend 10 hours in your business you know, trying to uncover a needle in a haystack. They look for the people that when they ask them to present their hazard communication standard, they say, what the hell is a hazard communication program? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the folks that they're going to take behind the woodshed. So when it comes to that policy development at the employer level, be it hazard communication, emergency response, respiratory protection, you know, maybe lockout, tagout, confined spaces, fall protection, those are the type of written documents that you need to be able to produce. And then there's trainings that are associated with each of them as well that you need to be able to document. So if we have 50 employees, I better be able to produce an emergency response and a HASCOM training for all 50 employees once they're hired and then annually refreshed. So those type of items, be it policy development, employee acknowledgement of that, those are things that happen in our platform that our brokers are able to produce and bring to the table for their insureds. You know, the employee training component, for sure. The ability to inspect what you're expecting. And if you set up an idea that, hey, take that, you know, that service facility you referred to, whether it's something as simple as the mounting of a fire extinguisher or whether it's something that is involving the automotive lift and maybe a safety bypass, like those type of things, the ability to track them and to keep your eyes on them, really creating what I would consider to be both visibility internally to the issues, but then accountability as to the corrective action. That's what we're bringing to the table in that fold. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I mean, I wish more brokers were out there talking about not just experience mod work comp, but also the compliance from a regulatory perspective for these businesses, because it's a goldmine. I can guarantee you out of 10 producers, maybe one of them is touching on this. And it sounds like you are, David, for sure. 
But I mean, that's that's a that's a that's a big swing and miss if you're not bringing these conversations. I'm, I'm going to give you guys a couple of pieces of low hanging fruit right now. You want to get into things that are going to make you look different. Number one, I do have to make a little bit of a sarcastic comment in that I don't know that I've ever been into an auto shop that I haven't seen a sign hanging somewhere that says customers not allowed past this door by order of our insurance company or something along those lines. Almost all of them have it, right? So they're really, they're like Johnny insurance, you know, with, with regard to that. But then you get into the shop and it's like, what's, what the heck's going on in this rat's nest? <laughs> so here's one for you. Why don't you look to see the tag on the lifts in the last time they were inspected? And if, you know, you don't know what that is, ask the question, hey, you know, can I go take a look at your lifts with you and have you show me the tag where they've been inspected? Same thing with fire extinguishers. Again, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to ask somebody, show me where your fire extinguishers are. I'd like to take a look at those to make sure that they, the inspections are up to date. Take a look at the exit signs and make sure that the emergency exits are not only properly lit, but also don't have a bunch of crap like drums of, of excess oil piled in front of them so that nobody can get out, right? That's another one. And, and, and if you're not, if you don't do with, deal with auto shops or things like that, Outside of the fact, okay, take drum of oil and put any other standard byproduct in front of the door. It could be pallets. It could be stacks of old files, whatever. Make sure you know that these exits are open and clean. And another one is if you use contractors, and I can assure you this is a huge one and it's one that OSHA will look at, let's talk about ladder safety and ladder inspection programs. You know, one of the things that I do... And I did this. You can go to Uline. I don't get paid by Uline for recommending them. And honestly, I don't know. You probably get it at Amazon too, for that matter. But Uline's pretty cheap. I, I just got generic inspection stickers, right? It doesn't say ladder safety inspection. It just says inspection. And it's got a place for the person to sign and date the last time it was inspected. If you're one of my contractor clients, there's a 100% chance I have come into your operation and given you a roll of inspection stickers and advised you that they have to be on every single ladder in your operation within 30 days. And guess what? One of the things I look for every single time I go back to that client is I look to make sure they're actually doing the ladder inspections, right? It's not a sticker that's put on there so that it has aesthetic value. It has a purpose. And that purpose is to keep your rear end out of trouble. Number one, even if you don't care about your employees to the point you want them to have safe ladders so that they're not going to fall while they're on the job site, you still have to cover your own rear end and show that you inspect them. Keeps you from getting fined and in bigger trouble. What happens if you have an employee that goes in there, you know, they use their ladder, they've been griping about the fact it's not you know, safe for a number of months, you've not done anything about it, you don't have a ladder safety program in place, there's documented evidence that the employee was able to get their hands on, that David told you that you needed to have this and you chose to ignore it, so they subpoena my records and I can show in my meeting notes that I dropped off the roll of labels and I gave you guys the actual policy that you should have in place for ladder safety and inspections and I gave you the training that you needed to run your employees through and the sign-off form and the test and all of the other stuff. Guess what, people? You just got yourself a serious fine that may put you out of business. And as the broker, I'm sick and tired of hearing people say, well, that's not really my job. I just placed the insurance. Okay. You know what? I hope you all continue to think that way because it makes my job of taking your business a whole lot easier. <laughs> oh, man, That's a true story. 
Absolutely. So what haven't we talked about regarding KPA that you want to sort of get out there for everybody? I mean, we've hit on some of the ones, you know, on the ones that I wanted to bring out. I mean, what are, what do you hang your hat on, man? I mean, your people are obviously good people and, you know, you're not a company that's relying on software salespeople and venture capital to get the word out, right? You're, you're EHNS environmental health and safety professionals, that's who the company was built on. And that's what you hang your hat on. You know, I think that in in and of itself is a huge bonus, right? Is that these people have been in the trenches. I just actually put a post on LinkedIn while we were doing this, letting everybody know this episode would be coming out and that I wanted them to see that specifically because of who built your company. But all that being said, what is it, man? What 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 else is there that, that we haven't touched on yet that you want everybody to hear about KPA? I think having the experience prior to engaging, you know, in the broker world, having 35 years of experience working directly with employers makes all the difference. And it is, you know, I I I kiddingly refer to us as, as safety geeks and HR geeks, but there's a big difference between being a company that has content or that shares information and being a company that has lived and breathed it directly with the employers for years and years. We understand the different mindsets at the employer level, the folks that are genuinely looking to drive safety as a means of, you know, not only taking care of their employees, but reducing the cost of business. We work with people that, you know, have it in place because they need to have it in place and they want peace of mind. And all of these things are very valid. You know, it's it's just a matter of understanding the employer's world that makes the biggest difference for KPA. Like I said, it's it's not just the software component, but there's relationships with our consulting team that have been in place for decades at this point. So, you know, that we're coming at this from a place of expertise. We're not trying to, to patch together a bunch of solutions and, you know, make make Dr. Frankenstein's monster here. I mean, this is a company of safety geeks and HR geeks that have been doing it forever. And the difference in, in this foray and in, in our engagement is that we're now providing the solutions for brokers to be able to be the, the problem solvers. So here, I'm going to translate that because producers are thick headed, right? They didn't understand anything that you just said. Here's what I want them to hear from that. Number one, you, you have to realize something. They know a lot. And it's a lot of stuff you don't know. All you have to know is the surface level stuff to ask the right questions at the point of sale and know that you have the solution. And he's already told you all the reasons why the solution makes sense. But here's the other piece that I think I don't want anybody to get lost on, okay? I don't want you to miss this. If you have a tool like KPA, and I mean, if you're in an agency that has in-house risk management and loss control abilities, all the power to you. I think that's a great value-added resource. And if you're in a firm that is invested in that, I hope as a producer, you're using it. This is what I know. I know that I can only be so many places at one time. And I know that I'm only capable of being an expert on so many things. And I realize that many times when I bring a group in to do consulting or outside loss control, if, if I'm going into a manufacturing account and I bring in an expert on loss control in manufacturing operations specific to the niche that that company's in, and I pay for that out of my pocket, that guy is more valuable to the relationship with my client than I am. And mm -hmm. many times when you have tools like this available to you, when there's interaction with loss control and health and safety professionals that understand how to interface with the client on your behalf, it really becomes the glue that holds the entire relationship together, right? Because you 
are introducing them, and by extension, they are part of you, and they're a part of your agency. And as long as you get that messaging out, they will never, ever leave you because they're afraid that if they do, they lose the other resources. And it's as good for writing new business as it is for being um, for, for retaining your existing accounts. I can't say it enough. I can jump up and down. I can stomp. I can scream. All of that. Some people get it. Some people don't. For the people who are only worried about selling insurance, you prob- they probably tuned out a long time ago, to be honest with you. But for those of you that aren't, for those of you who want to do it a different way, for those of you who want to move into the middle market and get into accounts you never dreamed you would write, where you're popping $25,000, $50,000 in personal commissions because you're closing deals using resources, you have to understand you need to make an investment. Stuff like this doesn't come for free. People ask me all the time, well, how did you close this? How did you close that? It's real simple. I invested in my agency and I made sure that my producers are set up with every possible tool they could need to be successful out there producing in the real world. I don't care if it's one of the alphabet houses, a publicly traded agency, a super regional or whatever else. I will go to battle against any one of them any day of the week because I know we have the exact same tools that they have, if not better. And the difference is we're small enough. We're nimble enough. You, My team answers to one person, me. That's it. And I answer to every one of our clients. I don't answer to shareholders. I don't answer to a district manager or anybody else. I make the decisions and we will always be nimble enough to do what's right for the client. And I've not been afraid to invest the money. Has there been times that it's hurt to invest? Absolutely. There have been plenty of times where, you know, I'm even having to make a decision of, oh, wow, okay, am I going to be able to afford this and this? And I've always chosen to put value into the agency because I knew that if I did that, that the money would come and it would always come. And guess what? It has. Yeah, no, you, you make a great point. It, it, it seems to me to be the case that, I mean, it's a no-brainer from my perspective. I'm obviously biased, right? But I was working with an agency, and I think I told you this, David, I was working with an agency in Tennessee, and they had a, a perspective insured that they were working on. Now, the risk management center was absolutely the clinching thing for them above and beyond the service at the agency. But they picked up a $2 million premium account. And the trigger point on that was the risk management center. They had used it previously through a different broker. And in essence, whatever, cut, whatever check they cut me, we returned something close to $175,000 to $200,000 in revenue to that agency just by having the risk management center in place. Mm-hmm. So this for you, but they made an investment and it certainly paid off for them. Uh, but that's just one of hundreds of examples. I mean, this is a system that honestly, with a single client acquisition or retention would pay for itself and the ability to put it into a number of other clients as well. And I know that, you know, I know that's the way you guys are approaching it with Florida Risk. It is. I mean, there is the other option out there too. If you're too tight-fisted with your coin to uh, invest in your client relationships and provide this to them at no cost, you know, I'm under the impression, Rob, that you do have people who actually sell this to their clients for a fee so that they can recapture a portion of their money that they've laid out. 
Um, you know, I have a hard time doing that. The amount of money that it costs for me to have a client in your system is negligible compared to the average revenue size of those account, uh, those clients that I would give access to. I could understand if it was maybe an account that wasn't generating a, a reasonable amount of revenue in the agency that you may need to charge so that you can offset that. But at the end of the day, man, for me, this is about this. This goes back to the very ba beginning, the very basics of the sales process, and that is identifying your ideal prospect and knowing who your ideal prospect is and never leaving your ideal prospect, right? I talked to a guy today that's in Killing Commercial and we were going back and forth and he just said, my scripts don't work. You know, I, I'm, I'm not doing well. And I said, talk to me about what's in your pipeline. And he said, well, you know, I'm only, I, I'm calling on these smaller businesses because I feel more comfortable with that. And I, I just feel like it's 100% them buying on price and, and, and this, that, and the other. And I said, you don't have a production problem. You have a psychological problem. You don't believe in yourself. You don't think you belong in the room. You don't understand that you can go in and talk about people, processes, and products in, in, in the operations of a company without ever mentioning insurance, and you're 100% qualified to have that. You're worried that somebody's going to ask you a question you don't know the answer to, and as a result of that, you're afraid of making the call to begin with. And I said, talk to me about your agency. Are you worried that your agency doesn't have the resources necessary that if you open an opportunity, they can make sure you're ultimately successful and that you don't look foolish? And he goes, yeah. I said, well, then you need to get it through your head that you're in the right place. Your agency's got what you need. You just don't mm -hmm. believe you can do it. And I can't help you with that. You're the only one who can believe that. That's one of the reasons why it's in the intro to our podcast. You know, your client, th this prospect's already validated your existence by agreeing to spend time with you. Shut up, go in there and crush it and close the deal. Get it through your head, you belong there, man. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. And that comes from a place of personal experience. You know, I've talked about it before. I, I was physically ill sitting in the parking lot of a $750,000 premium account wondering why they even agreed to meet with me and was scared to death to walk in to take an appointment that was already booked. Like, why? <laughs> this guy, you know, people, you have to understand something. Part of what we do is posturing. Even if you have no clue how to handle the insurance piece of it, walk in there like you do. That's half the battle. Nobody's going to come out and ask you to talk about specific endorsements and exclusions on insurance policies in a first meeting. It's fact-finding, understanding information, uncovering pain points, asking open-ended questions, and then suggesting that your firm has the solution to their problems, getting them to commit that you commit to give you information so that you have an actionable work product you can then go back and present and deliver to these people. And then they hire you after you show that you're a better solution than what they already have. That, that's it in a nutshell. But nobody can do that but you. You have to believe in yourself. Nobody's going to believe in you more than you. True. 100%. Those, butterf those, those butterflies are good though, right? I mean, it, you feel it. You've gotten to that point. You have the meeting set. That's a good feeling mm. to, to be in that car and be waiting to go in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. I, I mean, I, I love it. I, I mean, that adrenaline rush never goes away. I mean, I, number one, I'm wired to compete period. So it doesn't matter what it is. Like I'm the dad that will throw my son shot six you know, rows back in the bleachers just because I'm going to teach him a lesson that he's not going to get cross me over. But I mean that, you know, everything's a competition and it always has been. Um, but you know, I think that that's what makes us successful as producers. You have to have that edge. You have to want to win. You also have to hate to lose. You know, my buddy Jason Cash says on his podcast all the time, do you, do you love to win or hate to lose? I think it's both for me. I, I, I love winning and I hate losing. So 
you know, all that being said, yeah. we're coming up on an hour. I want to be respectful of your time. I really want to apologize to everybody listening that Kyle dominated the conversation in this episode. Um, it's amazing. Um, I really appreciate the contribution, sir. It was outstanding. What oh, actually? Well, yeah. it, hey, unless, unless you're, yeah, unless you're not um, watching this on video, you wouldn't see that he was nodding in affirmation a good bit, and I didn't give him much of an opportunity to interject. But I mean, I do want. Yeah, I do want Rob. I do want you to tell everybody how they can find you, how they can get a hold of you, um, so that they can learn more about KPA. Yep. So um, you know, my LinkedIn is is good to go, but um, you know, cell phone four eight four three two six nine seven six five. Email rstansbury s t a n s b u r y at kpaonline.com. I'd love to have a conversation with you guys and see what we could do to get you taken care of. I'm sorry, man, but when you spelled your name, I'm really hoping I'm not the only one that heard. So I married an axe murderer in the background with a S A T U R D A Y. Hey, from the Bay City Rollers. It was the exact cadence from, from that Mike Myers movie, man. Anyhow, listen, I appreciate you coming on, man. We are high energy today. I, um, I, I just was, was glad to have you on and that I got to go off for a little bit. It's been a little while since I've been full, full of energy. And so it was good to have you on here to do that. And I encourage everybody to reach out to Rob. I will tell you from personal experience, use him as a resource, you know, learn from him, learn about his product. He is not a high pressure sales guy. I think that anybody, um, in the insurance channel is probably a little gun shy of that because we're so used to uh, signing up for a conference. And like I'm dealing with the big eye stuff for the state of Florida right now. I signed up to go to the conference this week. I'm going to go by and, and, and see a, a couple of companies that I have an investment in, but then also visit some of the carriers that, uh, that we use and some people that I'm, I'm trying to get us to use. And literally my phone has been just absolutely destroyed with spam, uh, spam calls, people trying to sell me stuff before the conference. I mean, it's it, honestly, it, it's a nightmare. So I understand if, you know, as an agency principal, you're gun shy from reaching out to people because that's the way the ground rules have been laid out. That being said, I can tell you from personal experience, that's not how Rob rolls. Guy's been in this for a long time. He's low key. He's got a good product. He knows he has a good product and he knows you need it. You just have to realize that for yourself. So you can, with complete confidence, reach out to them and not worry about getting hounded. Been there, done that, and we'll never go back. Everybody have a great week. We'll see you later. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. <laughs> <laughs>